You're listening to On The Road, a podcast powered by Otto Kahn. So welcome to another episode of On The Road, a podcast for and about the private hire industry. This week, we're delighted to have to be joined by Johnny Goldstone, uh, the director of Green Tomato Cars. Johnny, thanks so much for joining us today. Nice to meet you, thank you. Awesome. Uh, we've been looking forward to this episode for a while now. Uh, your cars are really hard to miss, being out on the road with the lovely Green Tomato sticker, uh, which I think is a great idea uh, to capture riders and drivers' attention. Uh, how are we feeling today? Yeah, very good, thank you. Very well. Um, Nice sunny London day and uh, traffic's not too bad, but hopefully the drivers are out there uh, making some good money. So Absolutely. no complaints. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and, of course, about Green Tomato Cars for those uh, listeners out there? Yes, so I started Green Tomato Cars what feels a long time ago, uh, 2006. Oh, wow. Um, before iPhones existed, before Uber was anything other than a German word. And... Um, so yeah, we were kind of the disruptors back then, sure. um, and it was a very interesting time. We decided that the, the world needed a, an environmentally friendly service uh, that was mainstream, good value for money, uh, and we hit on the idea of doing that in the private hire market. So Absolutely. it wasn't that we were thinking, oh, we want to set up a private hire company. It was, we want to set up an environmentally friendly business. What's a good industry to do that in? So the Prius back then, hardly anybody knew about yeah. it. In our early years, or well, certainly in our early days, people were asking, can it go on the motorway? Would it get me to Heathrow? Like, yeah. And then sometimes you'd have people arriving late where they're meant to be going and they blame it on us. They say, oh yeah, we went with green tomato cars and they can only go at 25 miles an hour and things. And we're like, come on. So this is the kind of like same concerns drivers are having now about electric, right? That's so kind of it's, we 10 are years old, 12 years kind old, of, yeah. yeah, exactly. This is 2.0 for us. Mm. Um, so yeah, so, so that went really well. Um, and that was the, the early days. Then we had the credit crisis in 2008. People stopped caring about the environment, seemingly. Mm. Uh, it was a very short-term view. Now, uh, 11 years after, the, after that happened, we're in a very different time, actually, where the environmental agenda uh, and responsibility is real. And it's actually part of, part of everyday life, uh, especially for the B2B corporate market. Um, so we can push ahead um, so that, even if there is another recession coming or, or whatever it may be, confident that our business model really is here so to that's, stay. So that's your main kind of core clientele, right? It's sort of um, businesses and um, sort of executives and companies and yeah, people like that? Ab- absolutely. So when we started out, the idea was always focus on the corporate market where you've got large buying power, uh, high quality, high profile of customer, mm-hmm. uh, which is really important when you're looking at it from a driver perspective. Um, but also uh, being able to win customers uh, and keep them and have that repeat business uh, for people who care about their environmental footprint. And to be honest, some of our customers may not care so much but want to appear to care, and Mm -hmm. some of them really genuinely care. Some of our customers inspire us, and some of our customers, I think, we hopefully inspire Mm -hmm. and lead them. so, yeah, that was, that's always been the fundamental thing. So, to like, us. you kind of said, like, it's, um, it makes an impact for drivers to be working with that kind of clientele. Like, um, in what kind of ways do you feel that it's a different experience for a driver? There's a couple of things. The classic one for us is when drivers come to us who have been with Uber is mm. the most obvious example, and we're meeting them for the first time, 
and we tell them about our client base and they're like, oh my God, that sounds so great. Last week I had three people sick in my car and two people punched me in the face because no they didn't want to, they, you know, they didn't want to pay or whatever. <laughs> they were going to complain about me and, and it was a fight. And we're like, okay, yeah, you can be pretty comfortable that our average customer, uh, if they're going to have a conversation with you, it's going to be something pretty interesting uh, and they're going to be respectful. We don't do a lot of pub and club work, sure. uh, which our drivers generally like, because uh, the worst thing is when they're sat there getting sick, cleaned out of their car yeah, or their suit or whatever. It, else. Well, that might be the reason why um, you know you you wouldn't have seen maybe many green tomato ads out and about on on trains and buses and billboards like you would have with uh, Captain and Uber and, and Bolt in recent times. Is that maybe the reason why? Because it's, it's just, you're just targeting a different market completely. So there's a couple of reasons, I guess. One is that we are not focusing on the consumer market, mm, okay. uh, and so to the extent we do marketing it tends to be much more digital uh, and in uh, the business sectors that we are targeting and the other is the money mm. uh, I mean these companies you're mentioning most obviously and famously uber lose millions or billions of pounds mm. because they're spending a fortune on marketing sure. uh, we run a sustainable business in terms of the air we breathe but also in terms of the, the financial performance so we couldn't we just couldn't justify spending yeah, yeah. that kind of money on mm. such a small return so totally different game we're playing so, so you kind of mentioned as well sorry that you know this sorry. thing about pub and club work which is um you know it kind of shows that you you know you have a clientele they're kind of set jobs that the drivers take um so i suppose for a lot of um drivers they kind of be curious to know like what what is it like what is a day um, in the life of working with green tomato cars Ooh, good question that's a great question and I, I think where there's probably a similarity with drivers who work with uber or, or whoever it may be is that typically your drivers are either day drivers or they're night drivers or some are sort of doing what you'd call a split shift um, so our day will typically start for a day driver pick if they're picking up someone around five six in the morning it's often going to be an airport run to start the day then picking someone up at the airport, bringing them into town or taking them home over off, off an international flight first thing in the morning. Then they're going to be moving around uh, offices, meetings. Then it gets into the lunchtime period. We also do some school runs uh, in the mornings as well um, for uh, children who are being um, uh, given financial assistance to get to and from school. Maybe they have learning difficulties, so they can't go on the bus. So they'll have a, um, a chaperone with them and we'll take them. That's often paid for by the council or someone. Um, and then once you get into the afternoon, you're then starting moving people around again from meetings, going home after work. And then you start bringing people into work who are working a different work pattern. So work with a lot of news, broadcasting corporations, production companies. So we're bringing people into work later in the afternoon um, and then taking people home from work or out to dinner or meetings and then home from work late at night. We were, the news companies, events companies, catering companies who are doing a big event and all their staff need to get home at two o'clock in the morning. Uh, so they'll be using us. Fingers are in a lot of pies then. And then full circle, operate train operating companies who are moving train mm. drivers around who obviously mm. they can't get a train home unless they happen to live on a train track. So all of these sort of groups uh, where there's actually a lot of regular repeat mm. business, mm. the drivers who, who like it, uh, which is the majority, they know where they're picking up from. They start to get regular customers, whereas I guess mm. if you're doing Uber, the chance of picking up the same person twice is mm. pretty slim. So, so, so are you getting paid by the job um, or is it kind of they have a salary? So the majority of our drivers are paid by the job. Oh. Uh, we have a small number of employed drivers 
maybe we'll come on to that later. They drive our, some of our hydrogen fuel cell vehicles, uh, but the vast majority of our drivers are paid by the job. They're taking a fixed rate from each fare, not a commission. Okay. Um, so they're taking a fixed rate based on the mileage um, and paying a rental model. And, and how much does it, cause it sounds like it's quite all pre-booked in advance, the kind of schedule for these drivers, which obviously would differ quite a lot from those who drive for Captain or Bolt and Uber and, and the like. Uh, is, that, is that the case with you guys? We're about 80% pre-booked. Oh, really? Uh, okay. So 20% of our work it's will be high, coming yeah. in within a 15 to 30 minute window. The rest will be pre-booked. Obviously, the pre-booked stuff, some of it's booked uh, days and weeks in advance. We've got thousands of bookings today for the next few, what's, few what's weeks. What's the biggest amount of time you've had? Like a year or six months? Uh, we, we, I mean, like we have got we have got like bookings that. in for next summer where somebody's booked a holiday and they're just sort of one of those people who's incredibly organised and they're like, okay, I know I'm going to the airport on this date, so I'll book my car to take me to the airport on this date. Fine by us, it's sort of... uh, As long as it's in the system, right? Well, it's in there, yeah. No complaints. Okay, that's that's interesting. Um, So I guess it kind of suits riders and drivers who like to kind of have a bit of structure, um, even if it's six, seven, eight months down the line. Yeah, well, the other thing about the structure is, so you'll have some drivers, they'll come out and say, look, I've got to take my kids to pick up my kids from school later on, or I've got a doctor's appointment, so I plan on working, say, from 6 a.m. till 2 p.m. is... Is there something we can do? And the guys in our logistics team can say, okay, I know where we know where you live and where you want to end up at what time. So here's a few bookings that all follow on nicely to each other. So that could be your day if that suits you. And they go, yeah, great. Now, obviously, things may change. One of those bookings may get cancelled or changed and, and it might throw things out a little bit. But because it's not all just whatever comes up next, nobody knows, we mm-hmm. can have some structure, both for which is good for us mm-hmm. and for the drivers. I guess as a question I have after the siren goes <laughs> the, the, the pitfalls of not being in a proper recording studio <laughs> as a question I would have and I would kind of say to sort of be objective about it although obviously that's difficult um, you know how does that lifestyle compare um, to someone who might kind of traditionally like the the Uber or the Captain or the Bolt model is it just um, is it appealing to people who um, have a different desire out of this career or do you think that some of those people would actually benefit from this kind of structure within their jobs so, flexibility right yeah because I mean, yeah. obviously flexibility seems to be a, a very important thing that drivers quote yes um, so. that's a great question mm-hmm. and to be totally clear and and honest about it um we have drivers who come to us who are used to driving for uber and they come and drive for us and they love it and there are other drivers who come and drive for us, and within a week, they'll say, no, this isn't for me. Mm-hmm. So it's the dynamic is definitely different. Mm-hmm. With our drivers, we reckon on average, they will take home after petrol and car and everything comfortably as much as someone doing the same sort of hours for Uber. They'll spend less time actually driving and being chased around by wardens and sort of potentially having accidents because they're constantly hopping. But they'll also spend um, more time waiting for their next booking. But for us, the average fare is about 30, 35 pounds that a customer pays, whereas for Uber, it's a, the average fare is about seven or eight pounds. So our journeys are longer journeys, but it's not bing, bing, bing like Uber is. And I think there are some drivers who, who are just used to the Uber non-stop chasing wheels money, turning, yeah. chasing the money, even though it's small amounts. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And for them, our way of working doesn't work as well. But there are plenty of drivers who think, okay, I'm going to drive for an, an hour in total, maybe 10 minutes to pick somebody up. 
and then I'll wait for them for 10 minutes possibly and they'll be paying for the waiting mm -hmm. time. And then maybe we go on a 40, 50, 60 minute journey to the airport or wherever mm -hmm. it is. And that's a big earning. Mm -hmm. And then after that job clears, I might be waiting 15 minutes, 20 minutes before I get my next booking. Mm. But overall, over the space of the day, they're going to earn probably more. They're going to be less stressed. Uh, and they've got that bit more flexibility uh, rather than, like you say, having to chase the money. So some people, the Uber way works for them. Um, I think especially people who've come into the industry and started with Uber and haven't known anything different, yeah. that's kind of become their default. Um, but for those drivers who want a bit more of a balance, um, mm -hmm. then generally they'll they'll come to us and stay with us because they can see see the upside. Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, sorry. Uh, as I say, are the, are the drivers classed as workers or is it partners? How, how exactly does it work from a legal standpoint? Just out of interest for those who might be interested in, in joining <laughs> They're very interesting questions. So uh, we're we're currently reviewing reviewing that situation. Sure. Um, you know we're very much uh, on track with all what's happening in the tribunals, what's happening with Uber, what's happening with Alice and Lee. Um, so it's something that we're we're very close to. Uh, yeah. And there are, as you mentioned, the vast majority of drivers when you speak to them, the key thing that they want is flexibility. Mm -hmm. yeah. And if they want to be treated as a worker. They need to understand that they're going to lose that flexibility. Yeah, yeah. it's um, a trade-off, isn't it? Really, it's and it it is one or the other. Um, but if we can make it work so that they're getting the benefits of being a worker, but also the flexibility, then that would be the best case scenario. Mm -hmm. So that's something that we really want to achieve. Yeah, and I guess it's also a difficult balance because the, amongst the drivers themselves, it seems to be a very clear split. So yeah. it becomes difficult to kind of just paint everyone with one brush um, stroke and say like that's what everyone should do or, or etc yeah different drivers are working in a completely different way so like you say to say they're all categorized in the same way just doesn't make yeah. sense you know there'll be some drivers who are doing one or two bookings a day as a supplemental income and there'll be some drivers who are doing nothing but driving to to make their money and clearly they're in a different situation do you do you kind of put a limit on how much a, a driver is allowed to drive within um a day yeah so we will keep an eye on that i mean it becomes pretty obvious if a driver's been doing what you would call excessive hours so okay. once once they've been logged on over 12 hours you'll start to look at things now we know that if our one of our drivers is logged on for 12 hours they've probably actually only been driving for eight or nine of those hours whereas an uber driver might have been driving for 11 and a half of those hours so i think there's a, an even bigger responsibility on uber in that scenario but yeah it's something that that we're careful about. Right. Are there drivers, I might be uh, wrong, I'm just thinking, going back in the past, the last few years, that you have drivers who kind of actually work for you as well, uh, with a kind of suit and tie and kind of taking a car from you, which, so there's kind of maybe different ways of working for Green Tomato, is that correct? There are, so like I mentioned, we have some employee drivers. Yeah, that's what um, I'm to, yeah. So they're fully employed, uh, PAYE, monthly mm. pay, they have a fixed shift, uh, and that suits them. It suits us, it suits some of our customers. We can say this driver is going to be picking up this customer every week, every day this week yeah. because that customer is doing the same journey and they live a mile down the road from the driver. So it's perfect for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, then the majority of our drivers are self-employed drivers um, who are renting a car from us, uh, paying a rental, and the more they're working, the more they're earning, and also the, the more the rent reduces. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have a rebate system with points for that. Um, and then we have a number of drivers, a fleet of about 200 drivers who are in their own car, maybe yeah, one of your cars, that's, that's, yeah, possibly. and they're, uh, so. they're doing Uber jobs, they're doing captain jobs, they're doing Via Van jobs, they're doing Green Tomato car jobs. Do you have a preference or is it just 
there's there's three four options there for the drivers to to look at when they come into or on board on board with you guys. Well, so it's we don't have a preference. The idea really is that the drivers will have a preference. So we want to have a model that suits pretty much any Fair driver. The driver, whether they're in their own vehicle or renting one of our vehicles, they get paid the same for the booking. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't make a difference to us. We don't want to be in a position where we're trying to favor one driver over another driver because it's going to cost us more depending who does the booking. So that's a good, important thing for us. And also it means it's fair for the drivers. Uh, And then obviously the driver who's got their own car and is paying for their own car and that's nothing to do with us, we have an incentivization for them in terms of if they meet a certain threshold of points Uh, that they get from each booking, then they'll get an additional uh, payment at the end of the week. Whereas the drivers who are in our car, depending on the amount of points they get, they'll get a reduction off their vehicle rental. So the models sort of stack up alongside each other. And it's a question of, do you want to be in your own car, which you may want to be? Or do you want to be in our car, which also you may want to be, like you say, some some guys just don't want the hassle of dealing with a car and other people are really happy Mm -hmm. to do it, uh, whether they want to rent to buy or... Uh, just gives them different flexibility. So yeah, we're, we're trying to have solutions for for everybody. We think we do. Um, well, one thing I, as well I've always been curious about is how you know how easy it is to get started with green tomato cars, and also what kind of the, the specs or the specifications on the cars. Are. I find with a lot of drivers, so I, I talk with a lot of um, uh, private hire drivers. Obviously, it kind of comes with the industry. But um, a lot of them, you know, they, they have an electric vehicle, for example, and it's a really nice electric vehicle and they're working for Uber and they're, you know, maybe a little bit dissatisfied that they're not earning a certain amount or, or whatever it is on UberX. And I always bring up Green Tomato Cars because obviously you guys have been players since, yeah. you know, um, as long as everyone can remember. And it always seems to be on their radar, mm-hmm. some of them, but they don't <coughs> really know, you know, the ins and outs or the specifics. Um, so I suppose... For a lot of people, they might be curious to know, like, who who does it apply to? Are they able to join? And how easy is that? And and like you say, the lifestyle isn't the same for everyone that comes and works for Green Tomato Cars. Some people like it and some people don't. So how easy is it to kind of dip your toe in the water, see if it's the lifestyle for you? Or is it something that, you know, you're committing to kind of a more um, long-term project by getting? No, thanks, thanks for asking. <laughs> so for the guys who've got their own cars, I say the guys, we do have a few female drivers, but... Uh, the vast majority uh, are men, but we're very uh, open church to all. Um, for drivers with their own cars, um, they need to be low or zero emission vehicles uh, and of a you know age and quality that is going to be fitting to our client base because, like I say, we're not doing pubs and clubs and our customers expect a certain quality of car. So we have quite a lot of drivers with their own Prius. Uh, we have a good number with Nissan Leafs. Uh, other plugins we have a few teslas um and so they can come sign up the only thing we don't have is an app on the app store that they can just download and upload their documents to and be sort of gone straight away we want to meet them anyway i think that's really important there needs to be a personal touch so yes we need to meet them um but the the sort of sign up and onboarding process if you've got your own vehicle is you know within hours or or certainly no more than a day um and then you're, you're earning as you go. So if you don't like it, we're not taking any deposit from you or anything else. If you, okay. And if you go a week or two weeks and then you want to come back because you've been on holiday or something, then great. You just log on and, and you're there on the system and, and the work will start coming back down to you. So mm. it's actually very easy for drivers to sign up when they've got their own vehicle. And drivers who don't have their own vehicle and are coming to us, uh, that's a sort of 24-hour turnaround from once we've 
again, met you, decided that you're a good fit for the business. Uh, then we have a, a short induction program, learning how the system works, meeting the logistics team. So uh, meeting some of the people in the office so you understand a bit about the marketing and the customer profile. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then again, you'll be out there. We'll send drivers uh, to some of our more frequent pickups um, because some of them, especially picking up at companies that have big sites, it can be tricky to find the right place. Uh, and we'd rather give the driver the support than have them sort of worrying about which of the five entrances they're meant to be going into. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, then they're off and running. So it's pretty, it's pretty quick and easy. And we're typically signing up sort of 10 to 20 drivers in a week, okay. uh, some of whom will do 10 or 20 bookings for us in a week, and some of whom will do one or two with us. And, and others with whoever because they've got a few apps all on the go at the mm. same time. Yeah. Is it Brentford where they, they can find you? Is that, is that predominantly where they go? So our main office is in Brentford. They can come to Brentford. Our, our depot where we have vehicles and also where our driver uh, onboarding team is based is just down the road in Isleworth. Okay, good. Uh, so that's the place to go. We also have open days uh, at the Renaissance at Heathrow. Uh, so we put ourselves yeah, there so that drivers can easily have free parking, tea and coffee and biscuits, and we get lots of drivers turning up there and sort of seeing what's going on. That must be a popular um, It's place. a popular, popular <laughs> event, biscuits, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bis- biscuits, I, I, I go down there as well just, just <laughs> for the free biscuits and, and to meet, uh, meet, the kind of, meet the people who want to come and find out about us, which is always good. I wanted to um, actually kind of uh, move away slightly just towards the kind of industry in general. Obviously, you guys are one of the first, if not the first, kind of new type of kind of private hire operator in this market. But obviously, you know, there's been the introduction of Uber and, and Captain. Um, kind of, how, do you, how do you feel about this? Is it a case of you see them as competition or they kind of, are they just adding or, or growing the market that wasn't there necessarily before? Because I think one thing we spoke about in previous podcasts is how lots of the riders would have not just simply not used private hire before in the old kind of minicab ways. Um, we used to have to dial up and call and, and you know, someone would just rat, hopefully someone would turn up and, and, and take your booking. And obviously we've now moved towards apps and stuff like that. So, you know, what, what's your opinion? That's what I'm really kind of curious to know about it. So I think Uber is the most obvious example has been a blessing and a curse for mm-hmm. the industry and for customers who are traveling around London uh, in particular as we're, as we're here. Um, they've been a really good thing for the industry because they have made all of the existing businesses sort of up their game mm-hmm. in terms of technology, in terms of living up to now higher expectations uh, from customers uh, and from drivers as well. Um, and like you say, they have introduced people to using car service who weren't before. Now, I don't feel that that is necessarily a good thing, um, although it helps us from a marketing perspective because we are, there is just greater awareness that there are private hire services out yeah. there. Um, at a corporate level where that's our main target audience, that wasn't really a challenge for us. Um, where I think they, they're not a positive thing is in terms of the pricing, uh, some of the uh, culture of Uber in particular, um, and the, the race to the bottom in terms of price. They have managed to, uh, I guess, convince very, very wealthy international firms to invest billions uh, of pounds uh, to subsidize their growth uh, as part of a clear sort of push to to dominate and monopolize the market. And in doing that, uh, very clearly, their their approach is to is to encourage a race to the bottom in terms of price. That has a few problems. One problem is it puts people in cars who would previously have taken public transport 
um, and that's not good for public transport, and it's not good for the yeah, environment. There's a bit of a black hole right now. TFL, adds, adds to traffic. Yeah, TFL has got massive, massive budget issues. It adds to congestion, mm. um, and that's because it has become essentially sometimes cheaper to travel in an Uber than a bus. Now that's great for the customer now, but it's not good from an environmental point of view. It's not good from a congestion point of view, and it's not good in the long run. Uh, if Uber get what they want, which is that eventually they'll be in a position where they're the only player in town and they can jack the prices up and the customers are going to have to pay for these losses. Mm. Uh, the, other is, the other people who it's really not good for is the drivers. So we are in a marketplace where drivers used to be earning maybe £10 as a minimum fare, um, and that was a fair price for providing a service that might take them an hour. Mm. So they'd be earning £10 in an hour, and maybe after they've taken off petrol, cost of the car, maybe that's down to £8 or so. So £8 for an hour's work is, is not amazing pay. Now, uh, the Uber pricing is such that, especially if it's the rush hour or whatever, and if it's not surging, they're doing all these jobs for, for four or five pounds. Mm. Um, I think the minimum, the minimum is five, I believe. I think yeah, and right. the driver gets, what, 75% of that? Yeah, and they've got to pay for the car yeah. uh, and all these other things. They've got to pay for congestion charge, ULEs if they're in diesel. So we've had a lot of Uber drivers coming to us because they were paying for their own diesel vehicle and suddenly it was costing them £24 a day more yeah, is, yeah. from April to be doing the same job. Um, so the customer who's very much loves the idea of cheap and instantly available, it's a bit like with a lot of the cheap clothing brands, mm. uh, but they hate the idea that people are being exploited somewhere in the background mm -hmm. uh, but the guy that's being exploited often with uber is sitting in the front of the car that they're sitting in the back of but don't you think it's also um a little bit on tfl as well or, or um the department of transport in general in this country because they're saying on the one hand that um you know they want to help ease congestion and and you know they're putting up congestion charges zones, etc um but then at the same time they're granting licenses to a bunch of different private hire operators to come um, basically drive down the prices. All of them are offering discounts at the moment. All of them are fighting on a price game. Um, so, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, it's it seems like they're kind of taken with one hand and maybe at the other time. Because um, uh, the fees are pretty so, high as well, aren't they? They've, they've kind of changed their, changed their fee prices depending on how many... Yeah, and, and it doesn't seem like they're regulating the industry in certain terms there's of no know, cap, those, right? those caps on prices yeah. or, or caps or, on know, the amount of drivers and, as well. Yeah. I mean, there's literally no limit. Also, one point I think there's a, I think it's actually a bit of a myth about the subsidised situation with Uber. I know, obviously, the have you seen their accounts? Yeah, but for London, I think for London they do make a profit. With with you know, I think the money made in London does obviously is used to invest in other places. But if you did, if you actually look at the maths for London, um, we've had a little look at it and spoke to some people. And how I, much well, tax have they paid? Well, that's, in a, London. Well, that's, a, that's a question uh, for them, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, if they want to, I mean, they you know, if they want to be a responsible business in London. They should be paying tax mm. in London. So the same applies to then captain. Mm. Uh, well, actually, no, no, sorry, captain well, actually do pay. The, I mean, the that, that's the thing. At the end of the day, I mean, competition isn't supposed to be a negative thing. I mean, people, these companies coming in, if they're offering a different thing to the market, if they're providing a USP that's outside of just driving a price so low that now the the big players in it and the, and the most important players, the drivers, are now not benefiting anymore at all, then that's problematic, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Competition ideally needs to be fair. Uh, and like I say, you know, hats off to Uber. They've managed to convince people with ridiculous amounts of money to 
put all that money into their business uh, in the hope that eventually they'll get to a point where they can do what they want with the prices. Uh, but so in a pure capitalist society, is that fair? Yes, they've done the best job of convincing people to give mm. them all their money. Uh, for If you speak to the driver out there who's, who's earning half of what they were earning uh, for kind of doing the same job, uh, then that probably doesn't feel very fair to them. We don't really see Uber as competition. Um, whilst they were, to a large extent, uh, competition when we had a bigger consumer market, we've now really gone back to focusing on our, on our corporate market who are much more interested in the environmental and the responsible side of business that we offer um, and who are prepared to pay a fair price because they want to know that the car that they're in has been serviced and maintained properly, that the driver's been properly vetted, that they're going to turn up not looking like they just fell out of bed um, and and sort of offer a professional level of service, which Uber had, I think, in the early days. They cared about that, but I think for them it's all become about growth and having as many people out there as possible, which, which their good drivers also can see and resent. Uh, and a lot of Uber drivers who come to Green Tomato Cars will tell us, we really liked Uber in the beginning, but then they've just flooded their own market because they just want to grow and get what they can from us. Um, TFL and uh, Department of Transport, I think, yeah, they're, they're massively responsible for the situation because they have chosen to let things happen. Uh, most obviously, they revoked Uber's license, but then uh, gave them forever to appeal it and upheld the appeal because they said a few nice things and... Uh, you know, maybe took the mayor out for dinner or whatever happened. Um, but, you know, very spineless approach to to a new entrant coming into the marketplace and sticking a middle finger up to all the regulations and, and what's there. So I'm, I'm not one of those who says change is bad um, and that these guys shouldn't be allowed to operate, but they should be made to operate within the rules, which they never have been. Um, and that that's clearly a, a big problem. So, so what have you thought about these kind of um, the congestion charge and the, the Ula zone and stuff like that? Because there must be a little bit oh, of a conflict. Oh, the congestion charge. <laughs> the congestion charge. So the congestion charge, I think, is absolutely fundamentally flawed um, because fundamentally a, a service like ours is transporting people around. We're not a bus service. We're not public transport. But people are using us because mm. they need to. Nobody thinks, oh, I'll take a taxi that I don't need to take today. I'll take a green tomato car that I don't need to take today. They're doing it because it's the best way to get around. I've always said if there were enough public transport that people could do their journeys on public transport, I would happily close the doors of green tomato cars. That, my, my best case scenario is that public transport is so good, you don't mm. need taxis and private hire vehicles. It's pretty good in London. Right? And you can quote me on that, but obviously not, not good enough, maybe. thousands of people every hour feel it isn't good enough. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're vulnerable people. Sometimes they just can't possibly use public transport. Sometimes they live too far away from the connections, at mm -hmm. unsociable hours, whatever it may be. And you need mm -hmm. services like ours to get people around. Um, so the idea that you would treat c cars like ours the same as a private car owner who happens to decide that they're going to drive to Selfridges to do their shopping when they could just as easily have taken public transport. I think that that's a mistake. Mm -hmm. I think more importantly with the uh, ULES charge um, for private hire uh, and the congestion charge for private hire, the big problem you have there is that the infrastructure and the vehicles simply are not in place to enable all the drivers 
to have plug-in vehicles and be able to charge them and be able to do their job properly. Um, so, and anyone with, with half a, an ounce of understanding of the car industry and the charging industry knows that. So once you accept that, basically you're saying this is a tax. You're not saying this is something that you could avoid by having a plug-in mm. car because you, most people just can't oh, possibly. Yeah. There aren't enough cars. Even if 80,000 private hire drivers said, yes, I would like to buy a plug-in vehicle, there aren't 80,000 plug-in vehicles and they won't be at the current rate for about another 10 years. What's also so interesting is that... How does that um, work? You know, I find it interesting that the black cab trade, slightly going off on, on one here, but uh, they're, they're, you know, they're exempt from congestion charge whilst the private hire market isn't. Do you think that's a bit of a bias there? Do you have an opinion on that, or is that? And ambulances have to pay. Oh yeah, well yeah, that as well. Yeah, and buses have to pay, don't they? And black cabs don't. I didn't know that ambulances have to pay. I think so. Although I mean, certainly, don't, I mean, don't the, don't way, on the, the, way, the way the car parks are at the hospitals, it wouldn't surprise me. But I mean, the thing with the the black cab industry, I think it's pretty well known that they're a very strong lobby, and whoever mm-hmm. the mayor is is basically terrified of upsetting them. Uh, I've never really understood why, because there's only about 20,000 vehicles. So, yeah, they can cause a traffic jam, but the longer they cause a traffic jam, the more people go and use services yeah. like ours. Well, that's how we and the that's, less that's money how they got popular, wasn't it, at the beginning? Yeah, they, exactly. they, they all protested back in, was it 2014, mm-hmm. 15? And then everyone was like, who, who is this Uber? Because obviously it was all over the evening standard. <laughs> and in, in the yeah, news. and I can't get a taxi. Oh, I'll try that thing. So, <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, talk about shooting yourself in the foot. But I think the zero, uh, the zero emission capable plug-in electric taxi is a brilliant vehicle Mm. Uh, and I would love us to be able to have those on our fleet but the black taxi industry wouldn't ever allow it to happen I suspect Um, that's a great vehicle and that's a that's a step in the right direction the idea though that the diesel emitting vehicles which are responsible for I think it's 30 times more emissions per vehicle than never mind a Prius Mm. a standard saloon the fact that they don't have to pay the same charges that private hire vehicles do. I mean, if that's not discrimination, I don't know what is. And from what I understand, the reason that they're exempted is because they're wheelchair accessible vehicles. And if black taxis were often picking up people in wheelchairs, then that might make some sense. But invariably, they're not. I think we and other private hire companies take more people with wheelchairs than black taxis do, because guess what? Black taxis aren't going to drive out to somebody's house or flat to pick them up, and people in wheelchairs generally need picking up from where they are. Normally uh, out in the sticks as well, you know. Often, uh, often out in the sticks or in a block of flats, and they Mm. need assistance. So there's not going to be a black taxi just waiting outside your block of flats. So it happens to be there. I mean, I think the simple solution to that would be: okay, every time you're picking up uh, somebody with a wheelchair or somebody that that would genuinely justify you having an exemption. Then you would get some reduction mm. off the fe- off the congestion mm. charge, but just to have it as a blanket exemption because one day a month you might pick up somebody yeah. uh, uh, with a disability. I mean, it's just it's ridiculous. I, I, agree on that one. I think that's as well. I think like, that's where the frustration from what I've seen. That's where the frustration from drivers comes from. It's not it's not the policies in themselves. It's that they don't seem they seem to be flip flopping a little bit between two sides of the same argument. Um, and that frustrates people a little bit because there are a few contradictions there. You know, on the one hand, they'll introduce a congestion charge, but then they won't uh, apply it to black cabs, even though they're emitting 30% more. They'll put a, a congestion or an ULA zone in Heathrow, but they won't um, tax anything towards the, the airplanes that are flying overhead. Um, you know, it, it's all of these, these aspects that 
that you know people pick up on and notice if it was a blanket rule that applied to every single person and there was a logic there and it made sense and it was backed up by policy across the board i don't think there would be as much annoyance as there is now so in a way i think drivers kind of have have a right to be a little bit frustrated at times yeah i think um, listen i think you're absolutely hmm. right a, a bad policy that's ill thought out in itself is annoying but if it was applied to everyone equally, at least you wouldn't have on top of that companion this sense of injustice yeah. uh, and discrimination, yeah, which is what there is around. And I think if everybody has to pay the same tax, then whilst that's annoying, at least it is fair in mm. some sense. Mm. And also it means in terms of how do you then pass on that cost? Um, it's a much simpler conversation to be having with someone that unfortunately we've all got to pay this whether you use us or them it doesn't make a difference but it's a really weird conversation it's not clear to drivers it's not clear to customers it's not clear to consumers it's not clear to the politicians and in fact in terms of the congestion charge the vast majority of the members of the London Assembly voted against it but the mayor decided for I don't know what reason that he had to push it through because unfortunately he claims to be for the minorities uh, and he looks at his own background and, and shows what a great example of that he, he is. But actually the people most uh, detrimentally impacted by what he's doing are exactly those people whose votes he wants. So even as a political move, it seems to be well, there, pretty There is backwards. a case against TfL for being racially, you know, racial yeah. discrimination, which is obviously... Been in the news a lot recently as well, mm. and it's I think ongoing as we speak. Yeah, and who knows how mm. that'll come out, but certainly politically. Well, I mean, and I think that's the thing as well. Would you, you know? vote for the guy? Yeah. I mean, they're they're individuals. That's the appeal to the job. They they like the independence, the flexibility, and that means that they won't have huge lobbies like the black taxi trade might. Um, and so maybe that, in a sense, is why they felt a little bit voiceless in this whole argument. And it just so happens that a lot of them are people that have, have come to this country from other places, etc. Um, so uh, they probably is a, a kind of a basis for them to feel, like you say, a sense of injustice, mm. certainly. But what I find really interesting as well is that, you know, you're, you're a company that since, you're, since you were founded, um, the principles have been towards kind of moving towards a more eco-friendly model. Um, for this entire trade and you still don't seem to like this policy or this legislation no um, and unfortunately and i don't like the policy <laughs> because it's badly thought out and implemented but if the infrastructure was there then yeah. it would be a good policy and and the follow-up i guess i have to that is that this policy is supposed to be pushing people towards let's say electric vehicles um do you feel that it's at least doing that so is the policy Pushing people towards electric vehicles. I mean, for a business like ours, it doesn't give us any option. Mm. If we want to renew our fleet, which we need to because we have to have a really high quality of car and from a commercial model, we, we're renewing our vehicles about every three years. We're, we're now at a point where we have no option. Uh, from 1st of January, it's going to have to be a plug-in car and we might as well start doing that now. Yeah. So for us, that is what we are doing. But we're in a massively different situation compared to a sole trader driver who cannot afford, uh, realistically, to get that car. It's more well, there expensive. Is, there is, um, uh, at the moment, Uber are doing something called the Uber Clean Air Plan. Uh, mm. So we're actually working quite closely with them. So as you may know, drivers kind of bank up uh, 15p per mile if they drive in London on a, on a kind of on a trip. Once they reach a certain threshold, I think it's over a thousand pounds, they can use that to get an electric car 
uh, from various kind of rental companies, one being ourselves. Does yeah. um, Green to Monto Cars have something similar or something which they which incentivizes drivers to maybe step up from, let's say, a hybrid to an electric car going forward? Or how, how do you plan to essentially help drivers move up? Or so we are, so first of all, we're meeting all the costs of the congestion charge uh, ourselves, so we're not passing on any of that okay. to the driver. Yeah. Uh, and drivers who are in their own car, uh, we are paying them an additional uh, £1.50 for every journey that they do in the zone in the chargeable hours. So the more bookings they're doing yeah. in the zone, the more they're going to be getting towards covering the cost of that charge. Drivers who are renting a car from us, that cost is something we bear mm-hmm. uh, and the driver never has to deal with it. Um, but what we are doing going forward is is updating our fleet to be zero emission, mm-hmm. uh, which we have the largest fleet of zero emission vehicles in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we are also um, upgrading to being plug-in. So there aren't enough zero emission vehicles that are affordable that do the job for us to replace all our vehicles with zero, pure zero emission. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are you know, getting the, the plug-in hybrids, which we have no option to get even if I think the reality is that within five or six years, plug-in hybrids will hardly exist. They're a bit of a stopgap, aren't they, really? They're Obviously, a stopgap. They're, they're exempt from the congestion charge until, I think, October 21, which is a nice little incentive for those who, who do switch um, mm. shortly or, or already have. Um, I mean, but what, what would you say is the most popular electric or zero-emission vehicle you guys have at the moment? Or one so the most popular zero-emission vehicle we have is the hydrogen fuel cell, Toyota okay. Mirai. Okay. Um, so we have worked, we've trialed all of the plug-in battery cars, uh, the Chinese cars, the, the BYD, the Renaults, the Nissans, uh, Tesla. We have, we have a Tesla. Everyone loves Tesla. Everyone loves uh, Tesla, although what do they? <laughs> it's well, an amazing think. car to drive. Yeah. Actually, as an executive car to sit in the back of, I don't think it's as good unless you've got the, the, the Gullwing, the X3. Uh, sorry, the, the Model X because of the headroom and yeah. also it's a very low seat to get into. Okay. Mm-hmm. The Hydrogen Mirai is an amazing car. It's basically a sort of premium step up compared to the Prius anyway in terms of the, the, the upholstery and the way it's kitted out in the car. But the, the, what's so fantastic about it is it takes three minutes to refuel and you get 300 miles to a full tank. Really? So do you think so, TFL might have missed a trick here then? Maybe that was the future rather than electric since the infrastructure might well, not be in place yet. the challenge with the hydrogen cars is similar but slightly further back than the electric cars is they're still not making enough of them. Mm-hmm. So electric cars have been around for a lot longer than hydrogen cars, certainly in terms of commercial production, and they are now making a decent number of electric cars, mm-hmm. but nothing like enough. Uh, which is why I come back to this point that even if every private hire driver wants an electric car, it would be 10 years before the current rate of manufacturing them, there'd be enough in London anyway. Uh, the hydrogen cars are really very at the early adopter stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, Toyota came to us because they knew us from launching with a Prius uh, that we're committed to this and we'd be the ideal partner mm-hmm. for them to work with. Uh, and we put uh, started off with two cars on the road. We've had 25 cars on the road for the last year. Uh, and we're about to go up to 50 cars. Oh. And they're fantastic cars. The customers love them. Drivers love them. Mm-hmm. The only emissions are water um, that literally, when it's cooled down a little bit, you can drink. Um, that's all that you get from hydrogen and oxygen, which is what happens. I'm not going to try and explain the, the technical side no, no, of it. No, but next time. <laughs> but I've, I've held it and tasted it. Um, mm. 
So and what, yeah, what, once what, the driver refuels, then they've got two days of, of driving and it takes three minutes. So mm, that compared wow. mm. to charging an electric vehicle is all the difference mm. in the world. Of course, the other thing that we know is that your typical private hire driver doesn't have a drive where they can plug their car in. And if they're in a block of flats, it's mm. quite difficult as well. So again, until there are charging points everywhere that are rapid mm. or that you're going to be able to plug in overnight and get a full charge. And we always say we're looking for about 150 miles to cover yourself for a day. Then again, what's a driver going to do? They're going to drive for five or six hours and then sit down for three hours while they wait for the it, car to charge. It also seems to be a little bit of a chicken and egg thing in a sense, though, because obviously it needs the adoption as well before you know the widespread application and infrastructure comes into place as well. Um, but in terms of the drive and just about the cars themselves, I mean, electric vehicles, they're, they're just, they're, I mean, I like the drive, I like the design, I like the style. I think you do get the feeling when you're driving one that it, there is that kind of futuristic feeling, mm, you know, that you're moving in a little piece of something kind of um, progressive, at least. Um, but one thing that we found as well is that a lot of, there seems to be an inevitability in this city where a lot of people kind of, know that they're going to move in that direction towards electric vehicles but currently they're like ah you know i might wait a little bit longer like one month two months three months or, or a year um, down the line um what do you think is kind of a key to kind of getting people to stop thinking in that mindset and actually start kind of adopting today a more e economic um environmentally friendly vehicle like an electric car for i example? think for drivers the reality is the cost of running the car um, and I think if you if you when you realize if you can charge the car in a sustainable way that the cost of an electric charge roughly speaking is about 20% of the cost of putting petrol in to get the same mileage then you'd be prepared to pay even a little bit more money to have that car because at the end of the week it's going to be costing you less so I think I think especially in our industry, you're talking to people's pockets more than anything else. So it's, you know, have, by having this car, it is going to save you money. It's going to stop you paying the congestion charge and you are going to pay less for fuel um, or at least for, for charge. So I think that's that's the bit that that's easy when they have to change car. Uh, then, of course, the question will be how much is the car compared to a petrol car uh, and if those, those numbers need to, to work. Um, but I think what you said right at the beginning there this chicken and egg about the infrastructure being there before people get the cars i think you're right that's the problem here but if you look at other countries that have done this well they haven't said oh it's a chicken and egg problem mm. until people have cars we don't put the infrastructure mm. in they've done it the other way they've said okay if we want people to get these cars then first of all we need to know that these cars are going to be built and the manufacturers aren't going to build the cars unless they know the infrastructure is there mm. to charge them so we're going to commit to the infrastructure. We're going to put in more than enough infrastructure, not one every 20 cars and hope mm. that everyone happens to plug in at the right time so that they don't, two of them need to plug in at the same time. Yeah. We're going to overcommit. And then we can go to a market and we can say, right, you've got all these charging points and you've got all these cars being built because the manufacturers know the charging points are there. So you can get one of those cars now. And it'll make financial sense for you because you're going to be saving a fortune compared to petrol and you're not going to be paying the congestion charge. Mm -hmm. And if at that point you still insist on using a petrol car, then we're going to tax you for it. Yeah. That, to me, makes absolute sense. And in terms of Green Tomato cars supporting the congestion charge, then we would fully support it because the outcome, the, the ambition is the right ambition. But if you do it the wrong way around, A, it doesn't work. 
and B, you get everyone really upset and frustrated, which actually is even worse for the environmental cause generally, because people think, oh, this is all because of climate change and people saying that we need to be less polluting and stuff, and that's just hitting me in my pocket, when it's not that at all. Everyone knows that we need to be less polluting. What's making it not work is the politics around it, not the fact that people need to be driving less polluting we, cars. We should be looking at maybe the, the Scandinavian way of doing things. Mm. Obviously, they've got incredibly high you know, usage rates of, of, of electric vehicles right now. I think it's three quarters of, of people in Norway. M- it's Sweden. massive in Scandinavia. And the tax on not having an electric car is also huge. Mm. But I don't have any sympathy for the people who don't want to have an electric car because it's really easy to have an electric car. But here it isn't. Mm. So it's not fair to tax them. Mm. We're still at this, yeah, I guess we're still at this kind of stage where it's... It's, the infrastructure is getting there. The, the, the regulations kind of forcing drivers to move in that direction. Many, as you said, you know, we did some survey a few, well, I think about a year and a half ago, of, of, of our drivers and who had a driveway and who didn't have a driveway. And obviously, no surprise, the majority didn't have a driveway. So mm-hmm. I think that's maybe where the, the plug-in might come in. Uh, sorry, the Prius plug-in might come in as a possible kind of alternative for the meantime for those who might not have a, a, a driveway they can plug in every night. But uh, we're kind of we're kind of moving there, but mm-hmm. it just maybe not. Uh, the, the pace we yeah, and, the, and we have exactly the same experience. The vast majority of our drivers don't have a driveway. And if they do, it's generally because they live a long way away. So if you're then going to have to drive a long way on your electric uh, that you manage to charge, by the time you've got to where you're going, you've probably used up mm. your battery, certainly on a mm. plug-in Prius. Um, and, and that actually then becomes a sort of false positive, that the idea that having a plug-in Prius or whatever it may be is, is going to be better for the environment. Because what drivers will do is they'll put a bit of charge in mm-hmm. when they can. Most of the time they'll drive it on petrol and then they'll be using mm-hmm. more petrol than they were using in a normal Prius because they're recharging mm-hmm. the battery and mm-hmm. carrying around this extra load well, of battery at the same time. So well, it's, like, it's actually mm-hmm. worse. Yeah. I think if one, not used one, right, possibly. Yeah. One thing we've seen, though, I mean, amongst the drivers that we've brought in as well, we've had a couple um, in this podcast as well, electric drivers. Um, there are ways that they kind of navigate it on a day-to-day basis where they say that um, it's great for them you know they they've got their regular charging ports they they know how to use them it's their own little secret pockets around the city where they know to go to but i think that kind of speaks to what you're saying to to make an electric vehicle especially in this industry in this city um you've got to be smart you've got to be ahead of the game whereas people like tfl should actually make it more of a no-brainer for people that's so exactly right i think the, the smart drivers will make this work and there are charging points not only are there in, not enough charging points but some of the charging points there are are hidden away in beautiful little parking lots that nobody even knows exist yeah, we're not allowed to King's say them because we promised some of our drivers we wouldn't mention yeah. and yeah i mean <laughs> sworn to secrecy on this you go, i drive an electric car and and sometimes i like i find a, a electric charging pod and I, I think I'm the first person who's ever discovered it because why would you drive? I've driven down there because I'm lost uh, or I can't find a parking space. I think, oh, I'll go down this dead end. And it's like, oh my God, there's three charging points there. So I think you're right. There are drivers and we have a number of drivers in, in plug-in hybrids uh, as well and they make it work. But I think, you know, a lot of drivers 
Firstly, a lot of drivers just don't have the time or the experience to do that. And secondly, there will come a point where if there are a lot of drivers with plug-in cars, even the smart ones won't be able to make it work because they'll all be fighting for the same few charging points. Yeah. So and, and there if, has to be more and infrastructure. And if TfL are actually serious and you know we're, we're going to 2050 zero emissions or, or if any of their plans are going to come to fruition, I, I guess that's the point. You shouldn't have to be smarter than the competition it should be easy if it's easy easy, people will do it if it's hard people won't do it until you force them i have slightly an unrelated question but one that i I was going to ask earlier but then i forgot um the green tomato stickers they become uh you know they become yeah yeah we see them around london all the time they become design an icon icon of the city and how how do drivers get them Ah. (laughs) we have one as well that'd be great uh, yeah, well, you know, I mean, there's, we can definitely have that conversation. It would look quite quite good on the Otto uh, logo, maybe, with a bit of tomato. It could be green to Otto cars. Um, but the okay. the drivers get them uh, on our cars. So on our rental cars, we, we put them on. Um, there was, when we started out, there was a spate of green tomato theft. Uh, drivers from other with other cars would actually peel the stickers off uh, to oh, put on their cars. Awards. Green Tomato Envy. It was uh, <laughs> a massive epidemic across the city. Um, but actually, when we started, um, we had 17 Green Tomatoes on every car. And now we just have four. So actually, we've, we've really toned it down. We've sort of become a bit more sophisticated and grown up over the years. Uh, some of our customers are like, guys, we want more tomatoes. We want tomatoes on the seats. We want tomatoes on the steering wheel. Just give me more tomatoes. But, you know, we live in quite a sophisticated city. And uh, a lot of our customers, especially in the corporate market, not so keen on so many tomatoes. So we kind of, <laughs> like balance, I say, really. matured, mellowed a little bit. But if if people want the tomato, they, they can yeah, still yeah. get hey, look, it. A Tesla with tomatoes is still a Tesla. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Any reason for the green tomato? Is there any story behind that that we're not aware of? I'm sure you've been asked this question many a time before. It's the right question. It's it's, uh, (laughs) actually we just called it green tomato because we wanted people to ask us why it was called green tomato. Smart move. Yeah. No, I mean the the marketing. You guys obviously know what you're doing in terms of marketing. So the marketing answer is that when you think of tomatoes, you know you think of red and you think of all these red tomatoes and we're the we're the difference we're the green mm. one that stands out and if you've ever had fried green tomatoes which are a speciality and certainly in parts of america uh they're pretty delicious um but no the name originally came from uh the film fried green tomatoes okay. uh which i think was made in the 70s or the 80s uh, it's a great film mm. has nothing to do with taxis <laughs> at all um and when we started the business uh, we weren't really thinking of what are we going to call this business. We just wanted to have something green because we're uh, all about the environment. Uh, and so a friend just sort of jokingly said, oh, yeah, what about fried green tomatoes? And we said that was ridiculous. So he turned around and said, okay, what about just green tomatoes? Like, yeah, good one. <laughs> so, so we sort Simple of, as that. it was like a project name, green yeah. tomato. And then we've been going for about six months getting everything ready. And we're like, okay, what are we going to call this business? And we kind of fallen in love with it. Whatever we tried, we couldn't get away from green tomato. So we're like, you know what? Our green tomato cars will have this green tomato. People will see it. They'll ask us why you call green tomatoes. We'll pretend it's because red tomatoes and, and we're the difference. But really, we know that it was an accident. So it's one of the best accidents. Well, to carry on with that, um, I've got a little kind of secret that many people wouldn't know about in the past as to what Go Otto on. Carr ah. would have might pre- previously been called Ooh. beforehand. Any any guesses? 
Can we have a little guess? So it's Otto Carnell, obviously, but uh, there was no a, there was another name that was it wasn't the, Otto or anything. Well, it was in the pipeline. So when there was, when when it was being right. decided back in I think 2014. 15. Was it a fruit? Uh, no, <laughs> it was an animal. How about oh, that? Okay. Uh, so was it otter cars? No. So it's nothing to do with it. It was just a different animal altogether. It's a different animal. Was it Any guess? grizzly bear cars? Mm. You got one. Uh, you, you gave us a competition last week. I'm giving you guys one today. Uh, that's a good one. You got ten seconds. Okay. Um, Q, Adam, and Q. I'm cat thinking. Cat I kind of like the grizzly vibe you were going down. I'm thinking bears. You could have kangaroo. Kangaroo. You're, you're closer. You're a bit closer with the grizzly side of things. Uh, a bit more of a scratchy thing going on. Hedgehog cars. No. no. <laughs> Mole really. cars. All right. I'll give it to you. Drum roll, please. Keep the drum roll. <laughs> it was a. Uh, Lion cars. Lion. Lion cars. Be part of the pride. Oh. Which kind of fits, fitted into the, the family. I'm not ride. a huge fan. Well, <laughs> neither was the team apparently because they chose Otto. So there we go. Also, Otto works well because it's got the O at either end that looks like a wheel, which Lion would have looked like it had a flat tire. Yeah, I think Otto <laughs> works. Um, I mean, Otto, obviously. Why is it Otto car then? Um, as far as I'm aware, I wasn't around at the time, but it's because it's uh, two wheels and it looks like two people. And it fits in with ah. the oh, So that's, that is the that reason. Is it, yeah. Oh, I thought that was so just, just a happy lucky coincidence. That they actually are letters. <laughs> it worked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Could have been anything. Um, I do have to say, though, after you said the name, um, took us through the name, I, I never heard of them before, but I've got a serious craving now for green tomatoes. <laughs> We've got to try it out. You <laughs> bring some in. <laughs> Shame on you. I'm sure there's restaurants in London where you can get good yeah. fried green tomatoes. <laughs> They're delicious. We'll try it out and we'll let you know on the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think that's a good uh, way to wrap it up. Um, Johnny, if you wanted to maybe tell us the drivers, if they were listening, who are keen on maybe joining you guys, how, what's the best way to get about it? Is it your website? Knock through the door? Give give you guys a call? Or what's the what's the best route to, to find Yeah, any any of those. So um, come to one of our open days um, near Heathrow or go to the website and you can do all of the application, mm-hmm. upload your documents, all of that stuff there. Uh, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook. So uh, really, however you want to reach us, uh, be great to hear from you. Obviously, if you're driving an auto car and you want to come and be on our circuit, fantastic. And if you want to drive one of our cars, we're even giving free fuel uh, to our hydrogen car drivers. So Lovely. that's also uh, a pretty good deal as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Hope you enjoyed thank it. Thank you for having me. That's been great. Yeah, mm-hmm. And all the best for the future for yourself and the company. Thanks a lot. You too. Yeah, Ish, uh, thanks for joining us once again. Great host, co-host as always. Uh, <laughs> pleasure. Awesome. All right, guys. So, so thank you very much. Um, do we have any plans for next week's episode? Um, anything in the pipeline at the moment? Um, nothing at the moment, but we might have um, someone from the London Private Hire um, Car Association mm-hmm. coming in at some point to discuss it. Um, from what I've heard, they have um, even more intense beliefs about the congestion challenge. Yeah, very yeah, strong yeah. views. Yeah. It's going to be controversial. What I was saying was like a really toned down version of it. It's not confirmed yet, but... We'll see what we can do. Yeah. All right, guys, so thanks for listening. Uh, as always, please do uh, rate us and subscribe for all the latest episodes and uh, have a great time on the week. Thank you. Bye.